You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Welcome back to Innovative Minds. I have a very special guest with me here. She is posting a lot about attribution and she's one of like sort of the only female sales people on LinkedIn that I've really come across because most of it you see is male and she's really out there and punching some really great content out and she caught my team's eye while she's been doing it and I'm really excited to have Laura Erdem. I don't know if you've heard of her but she is an AE at dreamdata.io and that company is doing some incredibly cool things which I'm sure we're going to get into as she touches on some cool topics on social selling and potentially I would think we're definitely going to be talking about her content and how she's getting so much volume out, which I always get to um, touch on. So I'm really excited to have you, Laura, here to talk about attribution, social selling, and also your content journey. Melanie, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting and for going through the content that we're going to talk about. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm super excited because the last couple of hours have just gone and spent sort of going through all your content for the last 12 months. I really do love your content. I love the variation that you're doing and so forth. And I've written down all the things that I want to pick your brains on. So, but it might be in a weird order because it goes from chronologically of what you've posted to sort of 12 months ago and your views might've changed, but I'm just going to go for it even if it's unstructured. So first yeah, thing, I guess like read your about me section, right? This word social selling, this word social selling that people use, I feel that the European market uses it a lot more than the Australian or the USA market, okay, in my experience. And they don't know what is this social selling. So what I would like from you is like, you know, how do you define this thing called, you know, LinkedIn social selling that some, you know, demographics have come in and very well know what it is, but what's your view of it? So interesting you say that. And thank you so much for acknowledging it. It is like there is a lot of content out there. Thank you for reading it. It's interesting, I think, that I so far still think that Europeans are behind on using LinkedIn as, for example, when you compare Americans, how the way they do it, the way you're coming out on LinkedIn, the way you are. In addition to that, you speak a little bit about what your company does or at least what your buyers care about. And well, social selling for me, then I always knew that LinkedIn is the place to be if you work in B2B SaaS. I've been in B2B SaaS all my career. And to start with, it used to be like a a place to hire better people to your company, to be exposed with that, speak about what you love about your company, and usually reshare the blogs. I used to mm-hmm. work for Gartner and you think, oh, Gartner, everybody loves their content because it's so clever. And then you just yes. reshare it and think, oh, you're going to love this. Nobody mm-hmm. does. Because it's like, <laughs> if you really wanted to read it, you would go on their website and they would find it. Right. But then as soon as I joined Dream Data, it has shifted. Could be because we we are selling to marketers most of the time and marketers are out there on LinkedIn. And if you just reshare the stuff that the, your company thinks is very good and very well written, 
nobody cares because marketers are bombarded with messages. There's so much content created for them and so on. So it's both like a, a curse, but also mm-hmm. a positive thing. Because if you were working in a niche and we're talking about social selling or social prospecting on LinkedIn within a specific niche, it would be easier to stand out. For us, we have to really spread out in various topics, be the way we are and so on. It's like use a lot of energy to be relatable, but also findable on LinkedIn. So social selling for me is putting content out there that people care about, people that I sell to care about. So I'm in sales. You acknowledge that. So I'm not in marketing just to like spread out some information and come and love it and so on. I have to be relatable that when people take a call with me, they know it's the same person they have seen on LinkedIn. So I'm social out there showing my personality, but at the same time, I'm still selling because I'm speaking about the problems that my prospects care about. And without possibly mentioning too much of the company itself, I'm bringing value to the people, then it's easier to do prospecting afterwards. Got it. I love the fact, you know, you say, you know, you're actually selling and okay. The bit about social is like, we're being social, right? I kind of, kind of can get that. We're being social with each other. Like maybe if I saw you at a social event, I can understand whatever we would chit chat about. If it was a social event that was professional, whatever we would socially maybe share, like, Hey, what are you up to? Like I did this, da, da, da. And then we'd get to the selling part as well, which is like, Hey, by the way, I do X, Y, Z. One thing with your content is at the end, it doesn't seem like you ever call for the CTA, like, hey, why don't you jump on a call with me? So I don't see that direct selling part. And do you do that purposely? Like, did you figure out like from your data, like that people got ill, that's gross or something like that? Or, you know, because yeah, the selling bit, where does that happen? Just people come in and inbound to you and that's it? Both. So for marketers, as I mentioned, they see you through. <laughs> it's like when your content is like this, it's like, yeah. oh, then book a call with me. And yeah. that's like, I see that. So you did yeah. all this message and only because you wanted to book a meeting. So this is not social. This is kind of right. a packaged post that you thought, oh, our company is so fantastic and we do this. And maybe I think it's relevant for you book a call. This is even a bad cold email. (laughs) So to start doing, you warm them up, just like you're speaking about the social event. So imagine you earn the right to speak to somebody. This is coming from Zoe Zahart. I really Mm -hmm. need to mention that from Mm -hmm. Speckit. What she's saying, it totally makes sense. You earn the right to speak to a person one-on-one in public. So if we're at a social event and let's say I'm on stage and I'm presenting Mm -hmm. something and you're asking a question, say, oh, Laura, how do you do this? And I would say, Melanie, let's take it offline and come here behind the scene and let's talk about this. This is weird. You have to answer the question. You have to talk to the person. You're coming out possibly also in another group of people and talk about the same topic. And then when Melanie thinks, oh, okay, so I need this demo for me and for my manager. You're going to ask for it. I have ways to get into this. A lot of all of the people know about them, but it's like nobody's Mm. talking about that too much. But I would softly wrap it into moving it into a conversation. So I post the top, uh, the, some content. Let's say somebody comments on it. I never jump in and say, Oh, 
now we're going to have DMs and let's talk one-on-one. So no way. Like I'm yeah. going to comment back on the post itself, wait a little longer. They're going to see more of my content. So it's kind of prospecting one to many. And then yeah. later when I feel, okay, so the company is matching our ideal customer profile. Seems like this company is growing and would need an attribution solution. Then I would go back and say, hey, Melanie, so what you have communicated so far on the the post that I wrote or something like that, it's like, usually companies your size have a mess like this. Is it worth a chat? Yeah. Something really related or sometimes just ask a question, not even ask for that demo. It's like, Okay, so you commented this. How do you yeah. approach this there? And they would say, oh, yeah. we do this and this and that. And then you kind yeah. of continued the conversation. It might, to begin with, I was very skeptical about it. I was thinking, but this is like fake friendships. Mm. It's like, mm. you have to wrap it in. You have mm. to wait for it. And then later <laughs> when it's ready, it's like, now you jump. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But, yeah. but it feels so much more natural because this is how you have a normal conversation. I'm so curious to know if Dream Data gives you the data of the commenters and if they are consecutively commented. You know, I've been no. wanting, no. So you are sitting there and just taking your notes, right? Yeah. So, so well, Dream Data maps out all of the digital touches on your website or from your right. CRM. So what happens on LinkedIn is LinkedIn owned. And kind of unless the people click on that link that I share that I normally don't. So we are not able to attribute that. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of right. the fallacy of it as well. You're thinking, oh, so an attribution solution cannot measure what they're doing on LinkedIn. We know it's working because people are coming yeah. direct. People are coming from social and stuff like that. I know. This is the biggest. I mean, I see how active Dream Data and how you guys are so invested into LinkedIn as, you know, a platform to, you know, speak up. And I'm like, so who's going to do it? Because if it's not you guys, it's going to be me soon because I just can't anymore hold on. <laughs> like, you know, I just sit there going, I mean, because what you talk about is like, you know, there's so many multiple touch points. Like, why are we not able to get that touch point? I know we can't get the views because they protect it and all that and they want it to be paid ads. And we can map a better journey. But this organic stuff that we're doing, at least a like and a comment and be able to actually see and put points to that to yeah. understand the warmth, it sucks. I have to I've talked about it with Richard Vanderblom before, you know, and who's in within your, your European space. And I'm like, you know, it is kind of sucky, but I had to ask, you know, I was like, is Dream Data got anything like that? No. So you no, are out there no. also on your own and just taking notes of, okay, this person seems to just keep popping up or I'll just put them in a Excel somewhere or in my HubSpot yeah. somewhere or wherever. Yep. But if you create something like that, then uh, let's talk about this. I know a lot You're of people co-founder. who want to buy this. <laughs> You're my co-founder. I, I got you, girl. I got you. I was, I was like, I know the pain point of that. So solid yep. and I, exactly what you're talking about. So my next thing that was really cool about what I liked about your content is you ran a really awesome experiment, a LinkedIn Live event. And I know so many people want to run LinkedIn Live. And what you said is you actually got 200 subscribed and over 30 attendees for a LinkedIn Live event. Now, 
I want to talk about it because how do you run a successful LinkedIn live event? Because there's data there that you can actually grab, right? Which is really the fun part. But I guess I'm interested in it because people go, oh, events are just so boring. Like you don't want to go and all that. But you got this subscription. How far in advance do you have to prepare if you want to do these kind of LinkedIn events and you want to do marketing? What's your, you know, what's your methodology and tip? Yeah. So at Dream Data, a lot of stuff is testing. So you are not going to fail if you not test this idea out. The way LinkedIn Lives have been born, one of the times we're sitting at our sales planning meeting and we're saying, what if now we're doing LinkedIn posting one to many? What if we did demos one to many? It's like, mm. okay, it's like, yeah. I'll do that. And I got into LinkedIn Live and right there we released data-driven attribution. I said, I've got this. I'm going to do that demo. So I started the first LinkedIn Live about data-driven attribution and I did a demo and it sucked. It was so bad because nobody can see the screen and then you're talking. And I think even at that event, yeah, at that event, I was speaking like 15 minutes into nothingness because (laughs) there are also like the live stuff is not working and so on. It was crap. But then we thought, okay, but there were people who actually joined. And there were people that were actually interested to see something like that. So maybe it's not what we spoke about, but we need to figure out how to work this out. So what I started to do, I started to to invite guests that our potential buyers would care hearing about from. So we spoke a bit about marketing careers, about how to do data-driven attribution and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, a lot of things. And I think the success of it came out because first, we're not gating it. So we're creating Mm. content that is interesting for everybody. You can just jump in and out whenever you want to. There is no gate. You don't have to give an email. I don't even know if you've been on that live. Mm. I would know if you clicked attend, but very likely Mm. you have not been there. Mm. Next, we don't spam them right after. So if you click the tent, we would never get back to you and say, oh, you have been at this event. So no, I have not been at this right. event. I clicked the tent because, well, it was a pity that it came up and then I clicked. <laughs> so we don't do that. And then content, 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 content. You, the more relevant guests you invite, the people come prepared. They love to talk about it. Just like this podcasting thing, the mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, slowly, it became bigger than me. I started to do that every second week. And then my CMO is like, oh, this is working very well. So, Stefan, do you know that I'm not selling at this time? <laughs> it's like, I'm in sales and I have to do this. I love this, but this is like not really me. So, yeah, but I was thinking to do that every week. <laughs> so, please don't do this on me. So we started splitting that. So now Stefan okay. is doing half of it and I am. We've got some help to plan stuff ahead of time and to make the post for us and so on. Because it, it. it just became really, really good channel. Wow. So did you like invite people that you'd want to attend like a week or something before to let them know, hey, I'm going to be doing this event like and join? How did you like, you know, market an event? Because with an event, you're kind of like scared, like no one's going to rock up to my live event. I'm going to be there alone and go be oh, like, fine. hey. Yeah, that's fine. Um, It's fine as long as you're not saying it's a Q and A and ask me shit, you know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, but yeah, I guess if you're just gonna run the 
run a demo and you're like, you know, I'm just going to do it anyway because people can watch after you've got the confidence. So that's cool. But do you feel that for a live event to be successful that you should, you know, let people know and invite people to the event like you would a normal event? Like, you know, how much prep, I guess, would you recommend? Very good point. So there was once I failed like pretty badly and somebody called it out on LinkedIn as well. I loved it. <laughs> it was, I did invite people. So at one of the events, I say, okay, now I'm going to sit down and send out those thousand invitations to everybody. And you don't really target it too much. You like target, okay, mm-hmm. I want to do it for the US and for Europe and people have to have marketing in their title. And then you just mark sure. everybody, do, 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 yeah. thousand people out. And it didn't seem yeah. to work. Then I click out one more time and it sent out two invitations to people. People got pissed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And then I was saying, okay, I'm not going to do this again because it does yeah. not bring that many people to the event, even though you spam invite them. So we create posts about it, speak about the topic several times. So people join mm-hmm. it as well. And if there are some specific people that I really know they're interested, the other week we spoke about social selling. I spoke with my colleague yeah. about it. And I know companies that are looking into that. They asked me to present for them. They said, oh, come over to this one because you want to hear about her. Then it's targeted. Then it's perfect. Otherwise, we don't invite. Usually we get around 100 people nowadays to click attend. And around 50 of them appear on the event. This is amazing stats. The stats that you had was, I think it was 230 appeared. It was because I spammed invite them. Yeah. At that event. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 Got it. Got it. It's yeah. Cause I guess, so you post, post, post. One thing that's really good about your content as I watch it, like you really spend a lot of time, I believe, cause I've seen some of your other posts where you really get the hook, right? The hook is really strong. Either it's like how you do X, you know, or you start really strong with a caption that, you know, it's, and it's very thought leadership style, you know, it's very much like, I'm going to educate you on this, but you really understand that pain that person's doing. And I don't know how much, how many times you work it because I've seen some of your videos where you're like, no, this is boring. This is boring. This is boring. Like I've seen you ideate and I want you to share like, you know, what's the process to get such strong hooks that your content particularly has. Thank you so much for calling this out because mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I started with it. That's where you ask, like sharing the tips. You just have to get out there and do it. So my start of social selling was really bad, a lot of bad content. And some videos are also bad and boring too. But the more you do it, the, the faster you figure out, okay, so this is how you should be doing it because people are reacting to it. And well, there has to be a hook. For videos, it helped me to go on TikTok. My TikTok content is crap. Don't go there. But Mm -hmm. it helped me to go on TikTok and to figure out, okay, if I was to create this message in 40 seconds instead of two minutes, what should I say? How? What do I cut out? It's like even the smaller breaks or anything, it helped to create better videos that are so condensed and then people consume it much faster because you have to think the way people consume LinkedIn content, they consume it just as they consume TikTok and Facebook and, mm. and nobody consumes Facebook anymore. Mm. But it's like you scroll, you scroll, you scroll, you scroll, you scroll. I said, oh, interesting. Okay, let me read a little bit. Oh, you scroll, you scroll, you scroll. Mm. So the more you appear on their screen and the more there is like that interesting message that, oh, this, I want to read this. Or no, she's biking and taking a video. Okay, I want to watch this. 
<laughs> because then you're kind of yeah. a little bit curious. You possibly will never remember what she spoke about. But then the next time she makes a video on the bike, maybe you will listen to it. So it's like the compound oh, stuff no. that is happening on top of it as well. One thing I do is I now have started going, when someone asks me a question, like my client or something will be like, hey, Mel, like, do you think like I should post, you know, within eight hours of you guys posting for me? Like if I post, is it okay? And I'll be like, okay, I'm going to write. I'm going to grab that comment and put it straight away into my Sana backlog of ideas, you know, like, because they're the things that other people will care about. You know, are you sort of sitting there and banking ideas as you hear them and putting them in your notes or somewhere like that to get that output? I do. I've got just the notebook on my phone. Sometimes I yeah. even, I run a lot and I listen to podcasts while I run. I would need to stop the run and then write something down and then, okay, run further. You wouldn't post it, but it's like a quick idea of something. And especially if you think the idea is good now, could be that it's not. But then two days after you read it. So, oh, right. If I spin it like this, it's going to be cool. So it's really important to log something, stuff in. That's how your creativity is going to work as well. Okay. When it comes to creating such volume of content, you know, some people might say you've got a full-time job to do as well, right? And then you're trying to put, like, people feel like, okay, how the hell do I get out that much content? Because I still got to do a job. Okay. Like I've got to sell for God's sakes, you know, like sell and be on meetings or like, you know, am I... There's almost a guilt sometimes in salespeople, and that's so back in the day, like the companies that don't get it. But I tell my salespeople, like, I want you to create content. We have Fridays and any other days, but there's this guilt that is in people that they feel that creating content takes a lot of time. And then they feel like maybe I should be talking to people in that time, or maybe I should be doing X, Y, Z. Am I, you know, am I taking too long to create the content, you know? Um, so the volume is sometimes difficult to achieve and volume is important at the beginning as well as you're trying to figure out your identity and your messaging, as you said. How do you get this much volume out? There are a lot of things in this one. So the first and far most important thing about it is support from your leadership because that guilt comes not from you. If you want to create content, you have to just go out and do it. There are people who don't want it and that's okay as well because then if leadership would be saying, oh, now we have all of us need to start posting on LinkedIn and it's not natural for somebody, yeah. you will not be able to sustain it. But if it comes natural to you and you would love to do it, then it comes back to leadership support that staying on LinkedIn is not like having scrolling TikTok while you are, I don't know, have to close deals. But mm -hmm. This is content creation. This is work. This is demand generation in a big scale. So for me, it's outbound as well. Mm -hmm. So if, yeah. I, if I think about it like that, it's much easier to do it. And if you've got a lot of colleagues as well who are in the same boat and do the same thing, then the compound thing is crazy because people have heard about you before they even book a demo they have been reading about your content and so on and how do i get so much content out going back to this question so i'm not alone to start mm -hmm. with all the content that is dream data related is usually inspired by our content writer he's amazing writing so many good blogs and content pieces and so on on the bad days or busy days i pick up a blog post 
sit down and say this half an hour, I'm chopping it off to five content pieces and I'm scheduling this. Then it becomes a topic. The next thing I do, we all do, we copy Mm -hmm. and paste each other's content. There is no shame in this. It's like, Mm Stefan, today I'm copying your post and I'm just reshuffling a sentence or two, sometimes not even doing that. Nobody can see it. Next thing we do is we support each other doing that as well, because then sometimes you have a hard day. It's difficult. You have to get out of there and do it. And then I use, I know what brings me energy back. If I create a cool video, it's like the other day, I think it was on Friday where I did the the biking video. It's like this video. Oh my God. I'm so stupid. and so crazy. I was biking and doing the video and I filmed like this, like that and shipped it off. I got so much energy back. So controlling that as well helps me too. It's like, I know this is going to be amazing. People will like it. Maybe they will not like it, like really like it, like it, but they will see my face and they will see how it is that I'm communicating and it will bring me both the returns, but also the energy back. I really like your videos. I think it's cool how you do it, you know, on the cuff and do you do you use TikTok or do you use you know Instagram and look and shoot the video and do you then auto subtitle it on the platform or are you shipping it off to a video editing team to help you out? I used to put it onto TikTok before, but I figured out that they're not TikTok good enough. It's like I'm not creating the the audience that yeah, that right. is like worthy of that. So I shoot my videos on the go and I cut it almost on the go as well with the cap cut. I cut it off, add the subtitles, done. And it's out. So it takes me usually if I'm not on the bike, usually it would take me around know, 20 minutes to shoot, cut, add subtitles, ship it to LinkedIn with a message. Max. If it takes more, it's not worth my time. The next thing about what really captivated me was you talked about you went from 2,000 to 11,000 followers in in 12 months, right? And you don't use a strategy like some other influencers I've seen who say, you know, follow, like, you know, hit, make sure you tell someone what to do after they've read your post. So, you know, to go and grow so quickly looking back now, what do you think drove that? Several things. So content that I'm creating is attracting people to follow because they think it's cool. Most of that is sales who are following me, like when they really follow, follow, because marketing, they they can't see that I am trying to sell. (laughs) But some of them is like they do follow, but salespeople follow just to see the process, how it works. That's fantastic. I talk a lot with salespeople as well in other companies mm-hmm. how to do it and so on. And then, well, I actively max out 100 connections every single week. Every salesperson yeah. has to do it. Connecting with your ideal customer profiles. And because I am a creator on LinkedIn, I have the luxury of not sending a message when I'm connecting. People do yeah. connect with me because they can see that there is content behind it. So you can expect that there is no pitch behind it. And there's never a pitch. If a person's yeah. like, I really, really want to reach, I will write something personal after they have connected. Something fun, something like very easygoing and do nothing more. Now, enjoy the content. If you like it, I know you're going to come. So Got it. 
that's what it grew it through. Then LinkedIn Lives are also attracting a lot of followers. So every time I run a LinkedIn Live, a lot of people come and start following because of the content as well. But everything is about the content. And I don't add the call to action. Oh, follow me or hit the bell mm -hmm. to read my notes. If you want that, you will do it. And as soon as I hit that 10,000 mark, started not to matter how many followers you have. The important thing is that people are engaging on your posts and they think they're valuable. And as long as they are, then all that followers count is going to grow further very naturally. Got it. Yeah. Because do you remember back in the day when LinkedIn allowed you to connect with 100 a day, the golden face? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> because <laughs> you could you could back then you didn't really need that good of a content because you could rely on the volume of just connecting of with you know 100 people so it was much more easier as well back then to get you know followership and all that because you're like yeah well I'm just going to connect with 100 people and but the game has really changed yeah to yeah. you have got no option like this is a content game right like now I feel like it's even harder to get that level of fellowship whereas last time it's like all you have to do is just do some outbound and you know present if you're presenting even like decent or even good decent like you're gonna connect right because no one had worked it out but the game is so different right like now it's so about content 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 thank you linkedin for that i think it's 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 a good move and if i had a chance to send out 100 connections every single day i wouldn't do that anyway because that becomes a volume game and it's icky and this is the part of the, my work that i hate i hate doing stuff that is repeatable even though you know that it works but you repeat 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 every single day you're gonna get good at it you're gonna get that following it's like oh i want to do something else uh -huh. So, Laura, I really loved this particular post. It shocked me because, you know, I've had Chris Walker on here. It was my, it was my third or my third ever guest, right? And I was, like, shitting myself because I was not, like, hadn't done podcasts, but I booked him as my second guest ever. Yeah, it was my third guest and my second one was Richard, you know, and I had no <laughs> idea. So... You know, he is like always talking about self-attribution, self-attribution. Then I also had another person come on and just went, you know, God, I can't believe someone just keeps talking about how did you hear about this all the time as a thing. Like that's so 10 years ago and like, you know, it was kind of funny. And I went past, so I, I love it when I see someone that's, you know, challenging a bit. You didn't just challenge it. You kind of really hit the nail on the head for me. And you said we tested self-reported attribution. The results were close to useless. It was a really significant moment for me when I came across this particular post. So I went through a lot more of your post and really discover and understand your point of view. And I think it's a really strong point of view because we have a pretty strong influencer out there that is, you know, totally, totally going and promoting that very thing, which who you also are very connected to it, I can see, because people actually say they heard about dream data from Refine Labs itself, right? So I think it's awesome to have like, you know, such a strong viewpoint because it challenges strong influence in there. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about why self is, how did you hear about us is not enough? And when does it get 
to a point it's not enough like when does a company really need to you know go deeper maybe it is enough my i challenge you for a certain point in your journey as early stage startup like maybe you start there but obviously as i'm experiencing as you start to really put on multi-channels like when it's like one platform or two platforms you you know you can kind of go okay i got it from here why is this how did you hear about us form that we've all you know been so excited about uh not enough yeah well, thank you for bringing up Chris Walker. I think he is so clever and the messaging that he's building out out there is resonating with so many people. I think it's amazingly cleverly put together to help out marketers on the topics that actually hurt because it hurts not to know where your leads are coming from. It hurts not to know what's making a difference. Now you're making a podcast. It's like, how do I know if it's making a difference? Well, you have to ask your prospects. You have to ask. And then as soon as you start getting that message, you will know if they start mentioning it, you will know it's working. You will know, okay, so what I'm doing is not just speaking into thin air. That's nice. And it works very well for consultative companies. So consulting thrives on this. People have word of mouth from various places. You speak at conferences, you hear about them from podcasts, because you're selling your own experience, you're selling your own time to work with somebody because they trust you. You build that type of a trust that you need to ask them. I have been speaking on a podcast because this is where my mind is spoken out. I create videos of 10 minutes on LinkedIn and I speak my mind out so people trust me. What I sell is going to work and consulting services you're going to pay for is going to be great because you know it. And that's where I think self-reported attribution really works for consulting services perfect. And I think you should do it as well. And any other smaller company should definitely do it because you're spreading your knowledge out in various places. Maybe you don't have a podcast, but you are in various podcasts. Oh, you speak on LinkedIn or you, I don't know, you're in communities and so on. And people will start to know. But where it's not enough is when you start to sell commodity stuff. For example, B2B SaaS solutions. So every single B2B SaaS solution has at least 10 competitors and people find you from various places. It's fantastic to have a voice. That's why we're on LinkedIn and we don't capture it. Like we know it's working because we can see it. There are people engaging, there are people mentioning it to us and so on. So we still hear it from people. But if you only focus on asking, where have you heard about us from? And people would say, the internet or they would say uh, the podcast it's like, okay which one because we don't have our own and you've heard about us from the podcast it's like you can't really use it for anything but just okay so the strategy we're using is working but then when people are done or at least okay they have heard about you from somewhere then they will go to Captera, figure out how do you compare with something else. Then they will go to Google and ask Dream Data Alternatives. What appears there? And then they land there. Or they will ask Visible Alternatives and they will land the Dream Data page. You need to know that because every single step towards the journey, you figure out where do we have to be? 
where do we have put our money? Is it organic content we need to create because people are reading that throughout the full customer journey? Is it paid ads we need to be? Which ones, which campaign, which ad groups and so on? So in that volume of data, it's impossible just to ask somebody, where have you heard about us from? And I've got a story when you ask, done with your question. I agree. One thing I think even with the consulting part of it, what I think is you're saying that, yeah, they're fine with it, but it's actually not fine. I just wanted to share that with you. It's not fine because when they say, I heard about you from LinkedIn on the form, or which kind of LinkedIn? Was it my, you know, was it my podcast? You know, was it my LinkedIn that I appeared with someone else? You know, was it Laura when I talked to her and I tagged her? Was it her that actually referred, you know, that to you? And then, or was it the LinkedIn Live or the QA or it's still not, I mean, the pain point, I think, as you grow, and then was it the LinkedIn ads, damn it? Like, was it, you know, what, 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 right? Like, I don't know. And then, like, <laughs> people, like, see my ads and then they connect with me on LinkedIn. And I'm like, like, I actually ask them, like, why did you connect with me to try and understand that data point, right? And they're like, I saw you on an ad, but why the hell are you connecting with me? Why don't you just go press the damn ad and book the strategy call so I can collect the data? Why don't you do that? That's what I want you to do. I'm paying the pixel. I need the pixel. I need to know that the conversion and and it doesn't work, right? Like that conversion didn't happen because this person went, oh, this person looks interesting. I'll go connect with them and does a totally different behavior to what we expect, a linear behavior. Like you click on the ad and then you click on the strategy call. I've got a conversion on that ad and then Life doesn't anymore happen like that. So it's actually become very, you know, even when we were just one channel platform and we were like, oh, they hit us from LinkedIn, but which exact thing was it? So it's really, and then when you go multi-channel as a business, you know, if Mm. you now go into, okay, I've got my Google ads, I've got my LinkedIn, and you've got your blog pages, like, my God, you definitely then have gone to a status where you definitely need to, look at dream data or you need to look at real data because now you've just got multi-channel approach and yeah linkedin is just not a good enough answer i heard from you on linkedin well it doesn't still give you enough precisely but you're going to say a story yeah you're going to give me a story kind of a metaphor if you think about it about self-reported attribution and i use that all the time think about it it's like i say melanie so what did you have for lunch last thursday and Melanie's thinking, hmm, I don't know, <laughs> maybe an egg or maybe some chicken. <laughs> like, but if I ask <laughs> Melanie, can you tell me about a lunch that really made a difference that you loved? It's like, oh, yeah, that day when I was sitting with my mom on the terrace and so on and so forth is the same. Where have you heard about us from? So they will tell you, oh, I've heard about you from LinkedIn. No shit. You have been looking at solutions like that a month ago. You've clicked a Google ad that landed on our website. Then later you looked at Captera and then you forgot everything about it. Two months after you hear about us on LinkedIn and then you say, oh, I've heard about you on LinkedIn because this was the lunch that actually was very good and remarkable. It's like, no, you need to be there where they actually found you when they had the idea before and it's possibly not on LinkedIn. No, absolutely. Tell me about the Google analytics hate. So I saw that you just said, you know, goodbye to Google (sighs) analytics. 
I saw the post and anyone that is listening on this is pretty critical, you know, because we always like, oh, Google Analytics and da-da-da. And so you posted like, you know, there is just, you just don't see the value and you don't see it. Futuristic companies will also move off that. I want more details of what went on to drive that frustration to leave. To start with, it's not a, we didn't leave. We never use that. And it's a little bit of the messaging stunt as well. It's like, it sounds audastic. It's like, oh, never we moved away and stuff like that. So take, take it with a grain of salt. And sure. we don't hate it. It's fantastic. Google Analytics is great, especially for B2Cs. And it's very difficult. It's more compassion than a hate, really. Thinking about the marketers. You're a B2B marketer. And you get 10 clicks on a specific campaign in Google Ads. And you think, great, it's working. Let me buy more of that. But if you knew that those 10 clicks were actually from three companies, you would optimize your ads differently. So the reason Google Analytics is free, you have a guess. It's like, if it's free, then you're a product. huh? Then they're selling more ads to you, the ones that you perceive are working. And if you don't know how companies are buying from you, which channels they come from that you're paying money for, well, it's optimized to push more money into Google Analytics. It's not a hate for sure. It's a fantastic tool and it's amazing that it's free. But B2B marketers are still like looking half blinded into the data that is coming in there and we're there to help. So I'm happy you asked today is the day when we're launching an alternative for B2Bs that is actually a free offering for any B2B company that they would like to use it. And it's today on Product Hunt and everywhere. So if people are going to listen wow. to it, it's going to be too late. But, but we are really excited about this and looking forward to helping out B2B marketers to actually start figuring out what's driving their traffic. Wow. Tell me, with Dream Data, is there features on there that are free for um, for parts of it? Because yeah. it's like HubSpot, like there's parts you can have and then, then you upgrade. So there's core parts you're saying that you offer for free so anyone can jump on Dream Data and start seeing some of the benefits. Mm -hmm. So the analytics parts is free. Analytics, meaning okay. that the full engagement, segmentation, and there where it comes the difference with Google Analytics, we can start segmenting the companies that come to your website. So you can figure out how the various industries are buying the sizes of the companies that are engaging with your website. One more thing that is free, like when I saw, I was like, oh, is this like important? And my CMO is like, no shit, it's very important. You see all of your costs in one place, all of your statistics for the website engagement from the various platforms in one place. So compared to the cost that you're paying and the traffic that you're getting into the website. So that part is totally free. And with the free offering of Dream Data, you get two weeks of testing out if you want to connect a CRM to it. So you connect your CRM and then you see how the full customer journey is working out and so on. And then after two weeks, you either say, no, thank you, or let's talk to sales. Got it. So you're saying that if you don't connect your CRM to it, like if you don't connect HubSpot to Dream Data, you will be missing out on your emails, for example, and the those kind of critical data points on how they, you can actually call for that API. So it's 
seems like, you know, it depends how sophisticated you want to play this data game. The more you invest in data, the better you're going to be able to make, I guess, decisions in it. And as companies go through this journey, they, the really smart marketing companies and the future companies that really want to play in content, they would know how valuable the data actually is. And you talk about this, Laura, you say, you know, the reason you need to understand is so you can actually then decide how to actually invest your money. If you don't know where they've actually landed, you don't know should you keep producing this kind of blog or that kind of blog, like you really need to know the whole journey. I think what you're saying is with Dream Data, you can actually then map out the journey. Like, okay, they landed on this. I loved I loved this piece. I'll mention it now was you said that look at your SQLs, like your sales qualified leads, have a look at their journey, right? As to which kind of content did they touch to become an SQL? And then I think what you made the comment is, and now create that journey for your MQL so they can become SQLs. Yeah. Yeah. You compare the two and then you can retarget your MQLs with the content that SQLs have been reading because you know that out of the data and you know where they come from. So you pick up that content piece and send it through email because you know this is how usually our MQLs consume it. And the same would be for paid. Let's retarget this on LinkedIn to those specific companies because those industries, they usually consume it that way. And that's where the data comes from. Super smart. Super smart. I love it. Okay. How much time do you spend on LinkedIn per week? Too much. Way too much. <laughs> tell us. Tell us. You've got to tell us. So you can make the other sales people feel good. <laughs> so LinkedIn is turned on all the time for me, unless I'm really need to focus and create pricing or something like that. And I turn it off. I say, okay, for one hour, turn it off, focus work. But it's on all the time because I always need to check something, a company or something, their funding and so on. And then I create content. So usually I would say that if I said that engaging and well, like really social selling around seven hours per week. Okay. okay yeah. I thought you were going to say seven hours per day and I was like, you're insane. Oh, no, no, right? no, 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 no. I do, <laughs> I, I do this. I do demos. I do like but, have a packed yeah. schedule. Okay. Another question I had for you was how many touch points does it on average nowadays take to get even, you know, into a, you know, a sales qualified lead, like before they book a meeting. I've read from like, you know, three years ago, it was like we were at 32 touch, touch points two, three years ago. I heard last year it had gone up to 52. But given you've got a lot more data than the hearsay, I'd love to hear, you know, what it really is and what your thoughts on it are. That's a very good question. So <laughs> to... We have created go go to market benchmarks at Dream Data, looking into some of the benchmarks, how B2B companies are working and how many touches does it take and so on. So first thing you have to remember, when you know how long time does it take for your prospect to go from form submitted to new business closed, it will take equally as long time for them to become that form submitted from the first touch. This is usually like the rule of thumb, time-wise. The average amount of touches in a B2B customer journey is 31. And 31 
with at least two stakeholders in the customer journey within 192 days. This is the average. So if you think that 31 touch takes for your prospects to go all the way to new business, you cut it in half. I wouldn't be surprised that it takes around 10 touches in the various platform before they actually submit a form for you. Got it. And do you think that, you know, it should be a multi-various, like multi-touch point of various platforms? Like what's the advantage of being multi-channel, I guess, in your touch points from website to social? And, you know, should you be multi-channel or should you be like, okay, well, I know that my customers are on LinkedIn, so I'll just do my blogs or I'll buy the Google ads and I'll just show them ads on LinkedIn. Or should you be thinking more wider? 100% multi-channel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, why? Does it make a difference? Do you find in the at the end of the conversion if they see you in multi? So we, if if we take Dream Data, okay, somebody have seen us on LinkedIn. Nice. And then they probably went over to Google and asked Dream Data Alternatives or best attribution solution out there. Then they land somewhere else. So we're also on Google. Okay, then at the same time, they go to G2 and say, show me alternatives. Let me compare them. So more and more of the funnel that first there comes awareness, like teach, tailor, take control. You teach them first about what you're doing on LinkedIn. You tailor the ads according to what is it that they're usually looking for. And then you take control by taking over the sales process together with them and help them out buying the solution. Really, maybe it's not the right one, but then you help them out to figure out, is it the right solution for them to go with? So 100% multi-channel because it will match the various stages of their awareness as well about the solution that they need. For a B2B, do you think that Instagram is relevant? Like, would you place, as people are thinking about, would you place ads there? And what about TikTok? So TikTok, people started talking about that TikTok is for B2Bs. I see that TikTok is working very well for consulting companies. Very well, because you share your knowledge and then people come back to you because they know you as a person. I still haven't found how it actually works for SaaS companies because there's a balance between the personal brand and the tool itself. What is it that you talk about? You show it and so on. So it could be that it will come for Instagram. I don't know. I'm actually not on Instagram and it's difficult for me right now to relate on this topic. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, that's, I just always think with the SaaS companies that are trying to scale, right? They're always thinking, oh, do I need to also be there? And you're like, I'm always like, just trying to own the main channels first, you know, and then branch out. My final question, because it's been awesome chatting to you, who are the influencers on LinkedIn that you love following for, you know, your creativity and your content? Who inspires you over there? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> now it's the time of like giving the fame away. So I really do mm-hmm. admire Chris Walker. I do. Mm-hmm. And we're not friends yet, but I do admire his work. Then in addition to that, there are so many creators that I met this year at Saster that there's like, I think it's like 15 or something. So I love what Leslie Vanetz is doing with sales. I love what B2B Power Hour guys are doing. Nick and Morgan with the way they're doing social prospecting more than social selling. I love the humor of Will Aitken, like both 
both Will, like the whole Vidyard team, the jokes that they are able to pull out, amazing. What else? It's like Josh Brown, he's my idol. It's like if somebody would ask me, who do you want to have a dinner with? It's like, oh, I know, I know. (laughs) Synap is doing amazing work as well with videos, with energy as well. What else? They're like crazy. I need to make a post about that so people can go follow this. No, as well. <laughs> totally. You do need to, but thank you for sharing those. That's awesome. It's always nice to see such how content creators and who they're inspired by. Cause you, you know, that's other people could need to know about them. Like, you know, who are you following? So thank you for sharing. Um, it has just been such a pleasure to be able to pick your brain and share thoughts about, you know, topics we're both very passionate about and LinkedIn and, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk more about LinkedIn and data and, you know, how that needs to be brought in. But um, it's just been a pleasure to, and you've been so honest and open with your sharing. So thank you for coming on. I'm really excited to launch this one and get it out even for my team, my sales team. I think it's going to be super cool. So thank you for coming on. Melanie, thank you so much. And thank you so much for going through that content. I think that's impressive. I, I don't, never thought anybody did it. Thank you so much for inviting. Thank it was you. a pleasure. You're listening to Innovative Minds. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. I'm sure it will. Thank you.